I've often thought they're his friends. They're literally there to help him. Yeah. So A, why doesn't he let them in on the plot? And B, if he's not, he could change the letter from saying, hey, kill Hamlet. What he could say is, yeah. hey, give the two guys who bring this letter a ham sandwich. Like he could have changed it to lots of things that aren't kill my best friends. Right. Uh, and it would have worked just as well. Recorded in our Nerd Haven studios, this is Pop Medieval, with your hosts, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? What, Doc? Well, as regular listeners will know, we do have an email address. It's podcast at profawesome.com. And we get emails there, and we got one email in particular that we wanted to address today. And so, by the way, if, if listeners out there have anything that they want to ask uh, or the sub- subjects they would like us to cover, you can go ahead and email us from this. And so, usually we don't get emails that ask us to cover something particular that we haven't covered. But this one did, and it's from someone who calls herself Heather McLeod. I don't know if that's her actual name or if that is if she's intentionally named after the wife of of Connor McLeod or the Clan McLeod from Highlander, uh, which, if it's so, very nice reference there. That Heather is McLeod. excellent. Yes. We'll be talking about that movie eventually. She asks about Ophelia from uh, Hamlet and Zara from Congre- uh, William Congreve's The Morning Bride and as women scorn. She was interested in us covering that subject. Now, both of these texts themselves are from the early modern period. So they don't really fall into what we normally do unless we think about the medieval origins of Hamlet. And in fact, even though Shakespeare's writing in the early modern time, he's writing about a medieval prince. And a lot of Shakespeare's stories are set in the Middle Ages. We start to think of the most famous of Shakespeare's plays, Hamlet set in the Middle Ages, uh, King Lear set in the Middle Ages, um, I'm forgetting a whole bunch of other plays here suddenly. All the other uh, ones. All the other ones are set in the Middle Ages. They're all <laughs> Julius Caesar is not, right? No. Uh, but, you know, uh, Coriolanus, one of my favorites, is not. Uh, but many of these are set in the Middle Ages. And so we thought we would talk about the character of Ophelia here. And maybe in some future podcast, we might talk about some of Shakespeare's other medieval plays. We'd probably only do the most famous ones because this is pop medieval, so they'd have to be ones that are, I think, very popular, to use a a phrase. Now, you're familiar with this, right, Nina? I'm very familiar with Hamlet, yeah. Yeah. It's very commonly read play. It's really long. So if you haven't read Hamlet, I do recommend reading it. You could watch any number of versions uh, of it are on streaming. Uh, Yeah. Many, many good ones. Yeah. PBS, BBC, one of the public broadcasting networks did a very good version with David Tennant and Patrick Stewart a couple of years ago where David Tennant played, you know, the Danish prince. Uh, Fantastic version. Go look that up. It's really, really good if you want a good performance piece of it. And I would, by the way, say that if you are thinking, oh, yeah, I've I've seen Hamlet or I've read Hamlet. Um, just go grab a, a version of Hamlet that you haven't seen before because it has many, many, many really high quality and very, very different adaptations of it. Uh, mm-hmm. One of which will be my recommendation later on. Uh, but, nice. oh, a little, little teaser. Uh, so <laughs> Stick around. Now, it's interesting. This particular one is different than many of Shakespeare's plays. Shakespeare has a tendency to use the same historical source. It's something called... Hollinshead's Chronicles of England, Scotland, and Ireland. It's a 16th century 
just a chronicles of of these different kings with lots of stories in it. Uh, and so usually if you're if you do any kind of research in Shakespeare at all, usually just people just say Hollinshead or Hollinshead's Chronicles because he uses it so much. It's basically his main source for coming up with ideas for his stories. But in this case, he actually uses something different. He actually uses this medieval text, the 12th century text, pretty well known one actually by Sexo Grammaticus. It's Sexo Grammaticus's uh, Gesta Danorum or G Deeds of the Danes. And I had difficulty before the podcast saying Gesta Danorum. So I will probably just say Deeds of the Danes. Deeds of the Danes. Uh, because it's easier for me to say and less of a tongue twister. Now, uh, in that, he tells the story of not Hamlet, but Amleth. Amleth. And the story of Amleth is in some way similar to the play Hamlet. Uh, there's a, a guy, Amleth, a prince. He feels like his, the throne has been usurped from him by his uncle. And so as part of his plot, he pretends to be insane. He pretends to go mad. And he does things like ride his horse backwards and all sorts of things. Uh, but one major difference, actually, there's two major differences that we'll talk about here. One major difference is that King, the Uncle King is much more suspicious of Omleth uh, that maybe he's faking. He keeps testing to see, is he really mad or is he just pretending? The other thing is that unlike the play Hamlet, this guy gets people in on his plot. And so his friends know that he's faking it. Mm, okay. At one point, the uncle is going to try to get this woman to seduce him. And this woman is not, we don't have a name for her, but this is kind of the kind of Ophelia figure who we have. And she doesn't know about this whole plot. She, she knows that she's supposed to be there. And for some reason, I can't figure out the uncle thinks, well, if Amleth sleeps with her, then that means he's not mad because I guess, I guess insane people don't have normal sexual desire or something. I, I'm not actually sure what the thought is, but I, let me read to you a quote here uh, from sure. this. Then they purposely left him, uh, this being Kingsman, uh, leave Omleth behind, that he might pluck up more courage to practice wantonness. So they're leaving me alone, hoping that they he will sleep with this girl and then they can catch him doing it, right? The woman whom his uncle had dispatched met him in a dark spot as though she had crossed him by chance. And he took her and would have ravished her. So, so far the plot's working. He's going to sleep with this woman. Had not his foster brother, by a secret device, given him an inkling of the trap. For this man, while pondering the fittest way to play privily, the prompter's part, that is to say, to secretly tell him what's going on, and forestall the young man's hazardous lewdness, found a straw on the ground and fastened it underneath the tail of a glad fly that was flying past, which he then drove towards the particular quarter where he knew Amleth to be, an act which served the unwary prince exceedingly well. The token was interpreted as shrewdly as it had been sent. So I'm not sure if the idea is that the gadfly is supposed to specifically symbolize something, or if it's just such a weird thing to see a gadfly with a straw tied to it that Hamlet was like, or Amleth was like, uh, that must be a sign that something I'm being tricked and this is a trap, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I'm having a hard time following this. So he is all set to just uh, to sleep, know, sleep with, this? with this woman. Yes. But he sees this gadfly with a straw attached to it and he suspects something's up. Yes. He suspects that okay. there's some kind of clue. Uh, some Something's going on. Some strangeness is afoot at the Circle K. Okay. Yes. For Amleth saw the gladfly, espied with curiosity the straw which it wore embedded in its tail 
and perceived that it was a secret warning to beware of treachery. Alarmed, sending a trap, and feigned to possess his desire of greater safety, he caught up the woman in his arms and dragged her off to a distant and impenetrable fen. Moreover, when they had lain together, so he's like, uh-oh, I'm going to get caught here. Let's sneak off somewhere else and I'll sleep with her there. Moreover, when they had lain together, okay. he conjured her earnestly to disclose the matter to none. So he got her to keep it secret. And the promise of silence was accorded as heartily as it was asked. For both of them had been under the same fostering in their childhood. And this early rearing in common had brought Amleth and the girl into great intimacy. So they do each other. Yeah, they knew each other already. And so the idea is, well, I'll put this very attractive girl that he knows and I'll get her. And if she if he sleeps with her, he must not be mad. And then I'll catch him and I'll be able to show, aha, he slept with her. He's mad. But he gets the warning from another confederate that he has. And so they sneak off somewhere else. They sleep somewhere else. He says, hey, listen, here's my plan. Could you please keep it secret? She's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll keep it secret. It had brought them into great intimacy. So this idea is that not just now, but that presumably later on, they continue to have a romantic relationship of some kind. So this is 100% the opposite of how Hamlet treated Ophelia then. Yes, this is exactly the opposite of what Shakespeare okay. does with this. Wow. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Go finish what you were saying, but let's get into Hamlet then. Well, okay. So just a quick summary of Hamlet. Hamlet also is trying to convince his uncle that he's insane. He has this girlfriend, uh, Ophelia. Uh, although it is a little weird, he's kind of old not to be married yet uh, but he has this girlfriend Ophelia and he acts mad and doesn't tell her uh, and doesn't tell his friends and he ends up getting a bunch of people killed and she ends up because he kind of has rejected her I know you want to talk about that a little bit more but because he kind of has rejected her she ends up killing herself quite yeah. the reverse of this so do you want to talk a little bit about like what happens there yeah okay so Ophelia is betrothed to Hamlet. He ignores her at first. Then he gaslights her into thinking that he's still in love with her. He showers her with attention. They're only in three scenes together, if I'm if I'm correct. That sounds about right. And yeah, like he pours attention onto her. Um, and then in the final scene, when they're together, he just outright rejects her, like, very cruelly. Get thee to a nunnery, which my understanding that translation is get thee to a whorehouse. It's, mm -hmm. it's not nunnery in the common sense. And she's just like, what the hell, Hamlet? You know, we're supposed to be married. This causes her to absolutely lose her mind. She starts singing to herself and dancing around Hamlet's mother and her father and Hamlet's uncle, they don't know what's going on. And she just dies by suicide and drowns herself. She is not in on his plot. She has no clue. She never knows what's going on. And she is one of the many people like left out of his maddening plot to overthrow his uncle's murder plot. Mm -hmm to uh usurp the throne so we're we're really not sure what hamlet's end game is here other than pretend he's crazy and get revenge on his uncle for murdering his father which is based on what he says a ghost told him yes well so, the ghost the ghost we other people have seen the ghost so 
whether the ghost says that or not isn't clear, but isn't 100% certain. Yeah. But the ghost does exist. The ghost does exist. We can't say that the ghost doesn't exist because other people saw the ghost, right? The guards have seen it many times. They saw the ghost, yes. But again, this is this is some literature and we'll, we'll move on. Well, you can, I mean, I mean, without getting too deep in the weeds, it has variously been interpreted that sometimes the ghost is there when he thinks it's there. And sometimes it's just his imagination that the ghost is there. But the ghost only told Hamlet that he was murdered by his own brother. So yes. now I want to project a different personality on myself here. Okay. I want to imagine that I'm a student who has to write a paper on Hamlet. I have to write a research paper on Hamlet and uh, for a class. And I want to take a different approach to this. And I'm willing to cite this podcast as a source. Well, okay. what I've got here from uh, Dissidentorum or De Deeds of the Dames, Danes, not Deeds of the Dames, Deeds of the Danes, uh, is on Project <laughs> wow. Gutenberg at Gutenberg.org. So you can find it there. And so this leads to an important question, which is, why then does Shakespeare flip the story? Why at this point does he decide, no, Hamlet is going to not bring her into the plot. And in fact, not only is it not going to bring them into greater intimacy, he's going to lead her to, to commit suicide. And I think one way that you could read this is that Shakespeare wants throughout this all proper ties to be broken. And so throughout this, we see different things like his relationships with different people become inappropriate. Uh, his friends, he sends them to their deaths, even though they're just trying to help. Now, they don't understand what's going on. He doesn't bring them in. He ends up betraying a lot of people. Uh, we see him in, in instead of being in the places where life is, hang out in cemeteries uh, with corpses of, uh, of yeah. uh, all sorts of people. Like everything gets reversed. Here, Shakespeare starts with a source, which is kind of what a normal person would do. If I had this secret plot, I found out that my uncle had murdered, uh, you know, had murdered my father. And I, he obviously usurped the throne. That's not even in question. I'd tell my girlfriend. I'd tell my best yeah. friends. I'd be like, listen, dudes, I'm totally going to pretend to be insane. I need you to help me in this, as happens here. But instead, Hamlet kind of goes off on his own and leads to a lot of death and Ophelia's in particular. And with Ophelia, yeah. we see like throughout Hamlet, there's a question about like, is he mad? Has he actually gone mad? And he's just convincing himself that he's playing at something. Ophelia really does go mad. Ophelia mm -hmm. really does. And we, we do have an example yeah. in her of madness. And it's because this, of that's him. true. Insanity is, is what she's experiencing. Yes. Yeah. I think if you wanted to, uh, if I were uh, a student and I wanted to write a paper about this, I think that's a good source you can go to and you can look very, very informed on this topic if you want to go that way. So I'm secretly doing your homework for you right now. You should, this is worth at least a B plus. And I think that's a overwhelming theme in most of Shakespeare's plays, at least his popular ones, both his tragedies and his comedies, is that there's a wrong that has been committed and they have to be corrected. And in his tragedies, they're corrected in the incorrect ways. Yes, and very often he likes the idea of all of the natural world gets inverted. Like the natural order of yeah. things gets inverted. In this one, brother kills brother. We find out there's a war over some land that nobody wants. Yeah. Hamlet is of the age. He shouldn't be going back to school. He should be taking his father's place on the throne. He should be marrying Ophelia. 
You know, he, these are yeah. the, these are the normal things that happen. And yet brother kills brother, marries his sister-in-law. Hamlet is in this permanent state of not being grown up. He doesn't have an appropriate relationship with Ophelia. A lot of readings say he's his relationship with his mom is messed up. I wouldn't go with that reading, but it makes sense in this context where ever, all of the natural world gets kind of turned on its own. And I think moving from the source to this, we see that Shakespeare's getting at not only is Hamlet being a jerk in treating Ophelia this way and being short-sighted, but also it's unnatural to treat your lover in this way. Yeah. Yeah. And so she definitely is a woman scorned. I agree with that. And I think that's a great email question and a great suggestion from Heather. Yeah. All right. So do you uh, want to move on to recommendations? Let's, let's go ahead and do that. What's your first recommendation? Well, as I mentioned, I want to recommend a movie adaptation of Hamlet, but it's not a straight stage adaptation. It is a very, very loose adaptation. It is the 1983 Canadian comedy Strange Brew. Strange Brew, Strange uh, Brew. which is this set is around Elsinore Brewery. Uh, it <laughs> is about the McKenzie brothers. It, in many ways, for a generation, defined how uh, Americans thought of Canadians. Uh, rather than how they thought of the Danes, which is, I suppose, would be fairer. Uh, but I do recommend the comedy film Strange Brew, which uh, one of the stars of is Rick Moranis, who after some decades of being in retirement oh. has recently come out of retirement. He sprang up in a Mint Mobile commercial yes. a couple of months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And so what's your recommendation, Nina? My recommendation, since we're on the subject of, of Ophelia and uh, Rejected Princesses, is a book and a website called Rejected Princesses by Jason Porath. And I'm going to hold it up so you can see because it's a pretty oh, big thing. Oh, that's a nice cover. Yeah. This is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, it, it is a picture book also. There are wonderful illustrations in it. I'm going to show you one. You can kind of see it right here. Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> now, um, it has a nice, hold on, now that you've held it up, I didn't know this. It has a nice yeah. subtitle. What's the subtitle of the book? The subtitle is Tales of History's Boldest Heroines, Hellions, and Heretics. Nice. Uh, 100 women from the pages of history, literature, and folklore. Fearless, bold, fierce. These are rejected princesses. This is another gift from my friend Emily. Well-behaved women seldom make history, and these women are far from well-behaved. The author of this book and also the website, uh, Jason Porath, he's a former animator for DreamWorks. Oh, okay. Um, the competitor to Disney and, and Pixar, Pixar being owned by Disney now. Uh, he worked on films like Kung Fu Panda 2, The Croods, and How to Train Your Dragon. So the art style is in that with, you know, the... Uh, characters have really big eyes and really small faces. So it's all about uh, women from literature and history, folklore, all that stuff, who broke the rules, who bent the rules, who uh, aren't going to necessarily find themselves in an animated film anytime soon. Um, kind of like Ophelia. She probably won't, but uh, who definitely deserve a, a mention and a shout out somehow. Um, but they've got, you know, people like uh, Josephine Baker, Cthulhu, Harriet Tubman, and the like. So fascinating women. One of my favorite excerpts is on uh, Elizabeth Bathory, mm -hmm. you know, the, the woman who is supposed to be a vampire who murdered all of her servants and children and supposedly bathed in their blood. Uh, that's really not true. That's alarmist, but... Um... <laughs> that is, is not just alarmist, but alarming. <laughs> yeah, it's unlikely that she did all that. Yeah, did she probably kill a lot of her servants? Mm, maybe, maybe not. She was not a kind person, but it, it, history has a poor way of looking back on, on women. 
but it's it's an absolutely fascinating entry on her so i i thought that was absolutely interesting but yeah i i recommend it i'm going to have a link to both the book and the website in our podcast notes okay great and if the listeners out there if you have subjects you'd like us to uh to cover Go ahead and send those to podcast at profawesome.com. Now, just a reminder, we do record these well in advance. So if you send one in, you don't expect the next week to hear uh, the topic. But uh, we do like to read those and uh, we're always looking for new ideas. So if you have something you want to hear about that's medieval, then uh, let us know. We like getting mail and we like responding if it's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, West Through Hall, Nina. West Through Hall, Doc. Pop and Evil was recorded in our Cable Studio. The hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening. So the bit we're going to do from just a Dandorum, a Danor, Danorum, Wow, I'm just going to call it Deeds of the Danes.